Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. I'm Bobby Kern along with Tanner Hayworth, who, by the way, is in absolutely wonderful spirits today. I don't know, like, I don't know who put, like, amphetamine in your Wheaties today, but you are really up and going. We have got to, uh, we're going to talk about a couple of subjects today. And one of them, and I'm going to start with this, because I just think that a lot of people in Hawaii haven't realized exactly how good how crazy good Jocelyn Allo is. I, I just think that's getting lost in the shuffle, but I'm going to give you a couple of stats that will help remind you as we get started on a full day in the world of sports. The sports stories you need to know. Here's your current events. Talk to enough people in college softball, and it's evident that just about everyone agrees that Hawaii native Jocelyn Alo is the best hitter they have ever seen. Not only has she obliterated the career home run mark with 117 bombs, the previous record was 95, she also is second in the country hitting for average. She bats 497. She leads the nation in on-base percentage at 634. And as a former home run champion says, she almost never swings at a ball she can't hit. I think she is beyond amazing. Current events. The Golden State Warriors have been installed at Caesars at a significant favorite price to win the NBA title at minus 160. Part of the reason is Andrew Wiggins, who has turned into a two-way player who draws the toughest defensive assignment and makes huge shots as well. He's the perfect addition to the core group of Curry, Thompson, and Green. Finals begin tomorrow. Current events. In a match for the ages, Rafa Nadal outlasted Novak Djokovic in a quarterfinal match in the French Open. Took four hours and 10 minutes more than lived up to the hype and it's billing now nadal who did win this thing is going to have to get up for a semi-final that may feel a bit anticlimactic current events it's going to be really fun i think to chart this thing because we're hearing more and more coming out about the Boston Celtics, what they've been this year. And they have not been what the Golden State Warriors have been, which is incredibly clutch. Okay, get this. In terms of making sh important shots down the stretch, the Boston Celtics are 29th in the NBA. That is not good. They almost 
gave up a nine-point lead to Miami inside of two minutes. I, I just, I think, I'm, I maybe I'm going to be proved to be a nitwit here. But I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't think this is going to be that close of a finals. I, I'm not seeing how that can happen. What, are they suddenly going to be a completely different team than they've been all year? That's what it's going to take. Because you've got a lot of guys here that do not make shots when it matters. And they're some of their best players. Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown. They, these guys are not great when it's the heat of the moment and the pressure's on. Which sort of separates them in a big way from the Golden State Warriors, who are remarkable at that. 296-1420 is the number. Everybody's talking about how good defensively that Boston is. And I get it. They're the number one team in defensive efficiency in the league. By the way, Golden State's two, which is really remarkable. But here's the thing. I think it's so hard to get a handle on Golden State because they move the ball so rapidly. This is not, you know, the high pick and roll team. That's not what they do. They pass it. The theory is that nobody can move their feet as fast as Golden State can move the ball around the perimeter. I just think that's so self-evidently true. I'm just wondering if some of the things that Boston does well on defense just kind of won't be relevant against Golden State. Now, I could be completely wrong, and if I'm sitting here on Friday morning talking about how, oh, how did Boston beat Golden State at the Chase Center by 25 points, well, then I'll have to say I was wrong. But I don't expect to be wrong. I, I expect this thing, I expect these teams, let's put it this way, is the best way I can say it. I, th I expect these teams to be who they've been all year long. That's what I expect. 296-1420, you might have an opinion on this, please go ahead, fire it away. What I, what I find gets in the way of this stuff, and it could be with me too, because I, there's no question I have a Golden State bias. I love to watch the way they play basketball. I am a big-time person to enjoy uh, the constant ball movement. I think that's fun to watch. Doesn't mean it's going to work all the time, every time. So, But I do think it gives you an advantage in most games. And I not, I'm not sure that the Boston Celtics are that great, not to mention how healthy are they. I mean, I think it's pretty evident that Robert Williams is not 100%. Marcus Smart's not 100%. We'll see who else. 296-1420 is the number. I would have to say that right now, now Andre Iguodala is probably out, but aside from him, and let's face it, he's a, at this stage of his career, he's a seven- to eight-minute guy. At this stage, I think you're not going to miss him terribly, especially the way you've got a couple of young guys come. I mean... Anybody watching this Moses Modi? Holy smokes, this kid can shoot that rock. He's a really good player. I think Jonathan Kaminga, when he figures out what he's doing, is going to be a heck of a player as well. I think there's a lot to like about Golden State. Here's the thing, and this is why I was taking issue a little bit with Tanner, because he was talking about Stephen A's prediction that, that Steph Curry should win two out of the next three titles. I, I just think that's... So hard to say because you don't know who will be on that roster in two years. 
you know, there's an assumption. Oh, yeah, they'll have all these guys. Well, you don't know that. Take a look in the past at some of these teams and how the turnover and the injuries have changed them dramatically. How would the Denver Nuggets be if they had Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. at full health? Now, I just think that's a completely different team if that's the case. Go ahead if you have something you want to talk about. 296-1420 is the number. There's been, they're not like the only team that's been hurt. I mean, look at... The Clippers, I mean, you, you don't have Kawhi Leonard for the whole season. I think that think that changes the character of your team a little bit. 296-1420, but I just think making predictions is hard. If you were able to tell me, okay, here's the lineup. Here are the guys who will be healthy. Th these guys will be playing. Then I think it's more possible to make a prediction. I just think that's such a tough, tough thing to predict. 296-1420, but Stephen A's in the prediction game. That's what he likes to do. He loves to pontificate, and he loves to make crazy, bold predictions. That's his thing. That's what he does. 296-14 is good. It's good that somebody around is doing that, I suppose. 296-1420 is the number. If you have something, I would love to hear from somebody who believes the Celtics are going to win this series handily. I want to talk to that person. 296-1420. I mean, just tell me how it's going to happen because I'm not seeing it right yet. I'm not seeing that. I'm just thinking, well, it's hard to change the, the habits of a season. I just think that probably Boston's going to be a lot who they've been. They're tough. They're kind of hard-nosed. They don't shoot it well under pressure. I, I just think that's a, that's a liability when you're playing against Golden State. I, I, we've seen this movie before. Golden State can be playing really kind of lackadaisical. They're turning the ball over quite a bit. Halftime, they might have 10 turnovers already. You get into the third quarter, and suddenly they will rattle off like 14 points in a row. And suddenly the game where you were down, Golden State was down four or five points, Suddenly they're up eight or nine and no longer seems like much of a basketball game. How many times have we seen that history repeat itself? 296-1420 is that number. Go ahead and fire it if you like it. Um, I'd love to hear from you because I think that's an interesting topic. I, I felt that Boston was I, – I understood. I know that some of the Heat guys got all upset with uh, Draymond Green because they said he's predicting. He said he wasn't predicting. He wasn't predicting that the Boston was going to win. He just thought Boston was the better team. I don't know that that, makes, that explanation makes it any more palatable to members of the Miami Heat, but I agreed with him. I thought that Boston was a little bit better team. A little deeper, a little bit more useful, a little healthier. I, I thought there were a couple ways in which they had an advantage. Now, and he's saying he thought it would be them. Oh, I thought it would be them, too. It was them. I think the shocker, though, was game six when my, the Miami came back and beat Boston at Boston. That was one that was hard. It was going to be hard to see that. We are been talking about it. I've been listening to this. There's sort of a major evaluation going on of Steph Curry. What is his game? Where does he fit into the pantheon of great NBA players? I, I am wondering how much 
if at all, Steph Curry cares about those things. First of all, I think Steph Curry's been around long enough and he's a sharp enough guy to realize this is something he cannot control in the slightest. Not a bit. He can't help that. I mean, he that's going to be what other people decide. He, he has no control over it. He can contribute to winning is probably the best thing he can do for his legacy and reputation. That's it. Because I think we've seen already Jimmy Butler at 50 points and this team lost. And who's talking about Jimmy Butler today? Jimmy Butler was on the borderline of unreal. I mean, how much did it matter? If your team loses, it doesn't matter that much. It's almost, this is America. You have to not only be unbelievable, but you have to do it in a winning cause. Just how it is. And I think Steph Curry gets that and doesn't get himself terribly twisted. I love the fact that Draymond Green tries to get in. It doesn't even matter if you're playing them right now. He loves getting in people's heads. He loves renting space in people's heads. As he did to, to Kevin Durant by saying in a national interview, he goes, when Steph and Kevin were here, Steph got double teamed probably seven times more than Kevin, than KD did. Now, that's, cal that's the kind of thing calculated to drive KD bonkers. He could not let that go. He had to respond. And that's not true. I mean, why would you even bother? It wasn't like Draymond Green was citing statistics. It wasn't like he was giving you something hard and dried there, hard and fast. He wasn't doing that. He was, it was basically Draymond, you know, casting aspersions. That's really what, that's what Draymond does best. There's certain players that can't resist it. They have to respond. I think the best answer with Draymond Green is no answer. I just think you let it go. You don't even respond to it. Because is there anybody that's taking every utterance by Draymond Green seriously? I don't think so. Tonight, what do you think, Tanner? Do you think that he just gets in, there's a certain personality type that Draymond Green is very successful at getting into heads? I know one personality that can't stop from people getting in their heads in Kevin Durant. Oh, no question. I yeah. think Kevin Durant has the thinnest skin in the game because he's the one that I see the most on Twitter, and he's the most who I see kind of go back on people, whether it be fans, whether it be analysts, whether it be you know players that he's playing with or playing against. I mean, we could just look at this whole Draymond situation where they're both going back and forth at each other. Draymond's like, well, they doubled Steph more. And Kevin Durant's like, that's just not true. Tell the truth. And Draymond's like, okay, man, I am telling the truth. And so I just think Draymond and Kevin Durant are just a match made in heaven. Yeah, it's the trash-talking cha national championships. 296-1420. It's 15 minutes past. Let's take a quick timeout. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show ESPN Honolulu. Listening to the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Text or call the show at 296 1420. Hey. 
Welcome back on this Wednesday edition of the program. Well, you've probably been on to this for a couple of years because the SEC has gradually gone from two days to three days to four days of, uh, of SEC meetings, media days. You know, they, they just, it's over the top, as you might expect. And uh, so everybody, I think, was really looking forward to it this year because of the uh, Jimbo Fisher slash Nick Saban controversy really I in my opinion started by Saban because he just decided to call out Texas A&M because he was so miffed that they that Alabama was not number one this year and that they were number two to Texas A&M and he basically made the accusation right off the top he says well that team's bought I mean they bought the whole team so he said it sort of cavalierly but you know, he just basically let you know he thinks they're dogs, and that's that. Now, Jimbo Fisher did not take that laying down. His response came roaring back. This is last week before they've gotten in the same room. But his response was, he's despicable. Also implying that Sabin might have, you better have a squeaky clean house before you disrupt others. And he's alleging, at least, by implication, that Sabin does not have a clean house. Sabin, they're speaking different days. Sabin spoke yesterday. Here's a couple of the things that he had to say in his own words. I didn't say anybody did anything wrong, okay? And I've said everything I'm gonna say about this, but I guess the point and I should have n never mentioned any individual institutions. I said that before. But, you know, some kind of uniform uh, name, image, and likeness, you know, standard um, that supports some kind of equitable uh, national competition, uh, I think is really, really important in college athletics and college football. I'm all for players making as much as they can make. Um, but I also think that, you know, we've got to have some uniform, transparent way to do that. Our players did extremely well last year in name, image, and likeness because they got agents, they had representation. I have no problem with Jimbo. Uh, I have no problem with Jimbo at all. Now, to say he doesn't have a problem with Jimbo, because he did make the comment, he said every player on their team is bought. Now, that implies there's something about saying, but he could say, well, I just mean name, image, and likeness, but he didn't really. What he means is they're playing fast and loose with the rules. I think what it really means is they're doing this better than other teams are, better than other schools are. They're more aggressive about it. And people have said about Jimbo Fisher, he's uncommonly competitive. Well, people laud Saban's work ethic. They talk about Jimbo Fisher in terms of being competitive. He's a nasty-ass, junkyard dog competitor. That's, that's how he is. So why is this going to be any different? So it's now the process of walking this thing back, because Saban's insisting, I never said anybody did anything wrong. Well, if you say they bought their whole team, is that Every player on that team was bought. I, now, I, to me, that sounds like you're accusing them of doing something wrong. Maybe you're outside the scope of the rules a little bit. A little bit, I think, maybe. 
Um, I think it's quite possible, though, that this will go away now. <clears throat> I don't know that these guys are ever going to be buddy-buddy. It seems to me, though, the guy who got, you know, really got a little uh, extended on this was Fisher. Because he's the one said, that friendship is over. I am never speaking to, you know. I, I was like, did you really have to go that far? I mean, it was very schoolyardish. Um, I think it's interesting where Saban's at with this stuff. I just think he's trying to get into the headspace a little bit. I don't think it's going to matter because the same competitiveness that makes Jimbo Fisher a junkyard dog on this stuff is not going to change. This guy's a fully formed individual. He's not changing now. And trust me, do you think that changed him at all when they beat Alabama last year? No. Absolutely not. He's now thinking big dreams about, oh, I'll just have to take the place of Alabama. Why not? Let's just move this. We'll be number one, and they can be number two. How's that? Well, it's not going to be good with Nick Saban. I think we, we know that one is for sure. But I, it seems to me that – and Tanner was giving me the highs and lows of the seeding chart – at the SEC media days for coaches, administrators, et cetera. They had Jimbo and Nick pretty well separated. What was he afraid of? They're going to get up and start throwing down? I, I think there was a little bit probably – they were maybe overcautious. I don't think it was necessary. I think already Saban realized, okay, probably well, – he's admitted as much that he shouldn't have called out people by name. By the way, have you noticed that he addresses the Texas A&M thing? He's not even talking about Jacksonville State and Dion. Jackson State, rather. He's not even talking about them. So I guess they miss out on the apology train. 296-1420 is that number. It's coming up on 27 minutes past the hour. Uh, we will, we're going to tell you a little bit about UH baseball camps. It's going to be a topic. We're going to have Josh Pacheco on with us in a few minutes. <clears throat> because Stephen Sy wrote a good story about this in yesterday's paper. Was it yesterday, I think? In any case, it's, it's really about the state of disrepair that Les Marcami Stadium is in. It's not every place. It's not everywhere because they've kind of – they've – gradually done some things. They put the green seats in, the scoreboards being redone, etc. But there's some major issues. And I'm going to tell you guys a story that's fairly, very typical of what used to happen up there. So Ray Nagel, you, some will remember, Ray Nagel was the AD. And he had a visitor to his office. And the guy came in, he says, wow, that's just was down looking at baseball. Said, That's an impressive batting cage you got there. To which Ray Nagel had to reply, um, what batting cage is that? Okay, get this. Charlie Ushijima and a number of other of Les Marcami's closest friends, advisors, etc. Basically got the, did the plans for this without asking anyone or informing anyone, just went ahead and got the construction people together and they built a batting cage, an indoor batting cage. 
with protection, roof, all that business. Needless to say, it started World War III because Ray Nagel, not only wasn't he asked, he wasn't even informed that this was going on. Really, quite something. But if you want to know what the exercise of raw power is like, that's it right there. Okay, that's a long time ago. Now I'm trying to remember back when Ray Nagel was the AD. That's a long, long time ago. I'm getting, what, early 80s? So it shouldn't surprise anybody that this batting cage is in a state of disrepair because nothing really has been put into it, and it's now a problem. I mean, you got things falling apart. So there is some talk about just completely taking it down, doing it over again, doing a new one. And the problem with all these kinds of things always comes down to the same thing, money. Do you have the money, and where is it on the priority list? I actually think that this is kind of an important thing. I, I think if you are – baseball is a little different in Hawaii than it is a lot of places. Baseball has a better seat at the table than other sports of comparable size because Hawaii's got a history of having done well. Plus, it's a, it can be a beautiful place to watch a game. They've always been ahead of the curve on attendance and – and in the, in the baseball facility. That is maybe less true now than it was as the SEC has spent money like, like hotcakes. They just are spending right and left. So that may not be as true as it once was. But we've got some things to talk about. We're going to try to get a hold of Josh. We'll talk about some of the things that need to be done, some of the things they'd like to have done, and see if we can figure out uh, the difference. We want to remind you about the University of Hawaii's uh, baseball camps. So here we go. This is what's going on uh, right now, and we should give you this. Now, from this, from today, really, right through, um, this is the ad we're running, right through the 12th, because it starts the 13th of, of June. Time for the Hawaii Rainbow Warrior Youth Skills Camp starting on June 13th. There are eight four-day camps for boys and girls entering kindergarten through eighth grade to register. Go to hawaiiathletics.com and click on the camps button. So do that. Get yourself a head start. Open to boys and girls. Either one is fine. And they just have to be, again, uh, from kindergarten through eighth grade. That's the eligible list. Let's take this time out right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the Waianae Coast. Welcome back on this Wednesday edition of the program. I, I think there's a couple of components when you talk about facilities. First thing that they have to do is plan and build them. The second thing, and this is equally important, there's got to be some long-range plan on preventive maintenance to keep those facilities up to snuff. I think Hawaii has, generally speaking, done better at the first than they have at the second. And now, Stephen Sy's article from yesterday has pointed out that there's a number of things 
going on in the baseball facilities that are not up to snuff. One of them is the batting cage. I told the story a little while ago about that batting cage was just done completely outside of the athletic director's office. This was Les Murakami and a few of his friends that just decided to do this thing on their own. So basically, Ray Nagel, the then AD, found out about it, fait accompli. He didn't know about this thing till it was a done deal. And some visitor pointed it out. He had to go look at it. Didn't even know it was there. That's really quite remarkable. But here's the thing. That was, I don't know, early 80s? So we are talking about something that you've gotten 40-odd years out of. But there's now a point at which that thing needs some tender, loving care. Maybe even needs to be a complete rebuild. I just think that's what it is. Um, they're talking about a new facility, and we want to welcome into the, into the house here Josh Pacheco, who is around there now and sees all of these things. Hi, Josh. Hey, Bobby. You know, it's funny. You are mentioning that, that facility down the left field line. Uh, I've got a story on that that, uh, that Coach Hill shared with me about it. So there was a, there was a day where, as you know, um, you know that, that facility really wasn't to code, right? So they couldn't use it. It was really a condemned facility. And one day he goes to the, to the baseball stadium, and there are workers who are taking down the roof. And uh, well, it is what you see now, basically kind of an open facility with just those beams on, on the top, right, the wooden beams. Yeah. And, and he says, um, so when is, you know, when is everything else going to be completed? And the workers told him, uh, sorry, coach, but that's it. This is, this is all we're doing is just taking off the roof and leaving it there uh, until the next phase, whatever they approve, you know, whatever the, the facility will, will ultimately be, as you mentioned. So, uh, you know, it's funny that that's kind of the way it's worked. It, it did also allow them to use the facility because it was now a, kind of an open-air facility that it would became, weirdly enough, up to code. Uh, but it does highlight a little bit of uh, some of the tape you have to run through in order to get some stuff done and how far you have to go to, to try to work to get something done here. You know, I just think this it, it's not the only problem, but it's a, it's a major one. Right. And that has to be... I just think you are, sooner or later, what you appear to be as a program. And I just think that it's crazy, especially with the resurgent baseball program, that it's so far behind on some of these things. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is the domo turf. Steven Sai had a funny comment. He said, the 14-year-old domo turf is similar to a sports writer's physique lumpy in all the wrong places. I mean, why would you have to put up with that? I mean, everybody knows that these things have a life on them. I think my I'm question... Gonna, yeah, my question is why well, Why so long before this has gotten to the planning stage? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a question that I, I don't know the answer to. I also won't comment on a sports writer's physique. Um, <laughs> but I, I will... I, I will say, you know, Rich has talked to us several times about it, and he's got kind of this grand vision for how it should look. But he was also, and I was surprised by this, when, when, when we had our coaches show on 
Friday. Um, this is the day after Jacoby Gallup took a ground ball to his. No, I'm sorry, it was Saturday. It's the day after Jacoby Gallup took a ground ball that, you know, ricocheted off the turf and uh, and smacked him right in the mouth. And he said to me, you know, point blank, there are some seams in that turf that are considered dangerous. Yeah. And you know, that's a, a pretty pointed thing to say. Now, no, granted. Um, there is also a point to that, and that is to try to continue to make that case outwardly that you can't wait much longer to replace this turf. It's past its warranty, and uh, you know it, it needs to get done. And, and I've heard that there is the possibility of it you know, being done sooner rather than later with some other things going on there. Um, but he has... He has made that one of his points, that the facility down the left field line, getting those, you know, the retired jersey and numbers off that batting house and onto the outfield wall. He's made that kind of a point since he's gotten here, uh, and it seems like he's made some headway. Uh, but as he has said, too, he has said he's learning a little bit right now about how difficult it can be to get things through. You know, it is the state after all, right, sure. Bobby? No question. I just think, Josh, I think we're at a point that we've realized and we sort of get these things done one at a time as opposed to sort of get jumping in both feet and saying we need we need seven or eight things in different sports to be done. we got to get on this. we got to have a major capital improvement plan. Yeah, and I, and I know with the facility down the left field lot, I, I know that they have been, you know, working on that with donors. Uh, that was one of the things, and and you were there at the uh, uh, for the love of the game celebration. Yeah. It was it was one of the things that he shared with uh, a lot of the people who were there. You know the the plans and and the outward vision for it. Uh, it sounds like that's moving. Uh, I I think there are some things that still need to get done. There have been some things done, and that was during the pandemic, which I think was probably one of the benefits of the. Well, I, I should probably word it differently. One of the benefits of not having people at the facility during the pandemic was they could get some things done while games were being played. Like, for example, the bathrooms uh, had been redone, um, you know, and and I think Stephen once called them the best bathrooms on campus or something. Um, So they've gotten they've gotten a few things done. But your your point is well taken. It's been kind of piecemeal here, piecemeal there. Uh, I'm not sure that the money is there to do everything kind of at once, but everything's just kind of been done in phases. And you've talked to Coach Hill. I've talked to Coach Hill. He's not one of those guys that likes piecemeal stuff. He he likes to get things done in in big fashion and as soon as possible. I I understand that. You know, he's got a certain amount of pride in the program, and he really doesn't want it to be second rate, which I totally get. Yeah, I mean, he he sees the grand plan both on the field, but you know, even going back to that that you know what that performance facility they want down the left field line, it's also bringing back in uh, contributions from former players. I think Colton Wong is one of them that I've that I've heard is is kind of involved in that, um, and and trying to get that pride back in from those who who can contribute. I'm not sure where it is from the from the business community, but I know that there has been some talk outside of it but that i mean that honestly might still be a couple of years down the road the honestly i think the the biggest thing that could be coming could be the turf yeah. uh first and foremost 
Um, and, and honestly, the design of it, uh, you know, and Mike Chapasso's wanted this for a while. The other part of that turf is not just the safety issue, but they want to get rid of the dirt. They want the mound to be turfed, uh, just like a lot of other places are starting to do. Um, you know, so any rain that comes down the Manoa mist, you're not worrying about that one section of the field that's only in dirt. Uh, so, so they want to kind of take care of that. It would be the only facility in the big West to have a turfed pitching mound. Uh, but it seems like they kind of want that might be first in line on the, uh, on the priority list. And I think that's fair. That's a good one. I, I think we need to get something where you don't have slipping, sliding, balance issues, et cetera, for the guys, the young people that are on the mound. Yeah, absolutely. And we haven't seen much of those issues, but then again, we've also been in a drought this year, so we haven't seen a lot of rain come into play. But we have seen weather delays really for the sake of just protecting only that one area. And, uh, and at, at some point, you know, given that it can get wet there, they call it the Manoa Mist for a reason, that uh, you do want to protect that because we've seen how it's impacted softball next door um, sure. you know, when, when rain comes down. And I think you want to keep that from happening uh, you know, with baseball. Now, when you go up into the booth to call a game, what, what is your overall impression of the current edition of Les Murakami Stadium? Do, is it to the point where you think, God, this is embarrassing? Or do you think it's just something that needs a little TLC? Yeah, I, I I would say the latter. Uh, you know, a little bit of TLC. Um, you know, I I think of uh, when you when you said walking up to the press box. You know, the first thing I thought of is uh, uh, you know Pal Eldridge, uh, our, our good friend from Spectrum Sports, and you know, kind of the complaint we've heard for years. Those steps are steep, and walking up those steps, and there's no railings on those steps yeah. going up to the press box, and that's one of the first things I thought of. I think. Uh, you know, I, there is a, a little bit of TL. I will say one thing, um, you know, and, and this nearly happened to me actually this year. Um, you know, they, they clean the facility as best as they can, but there are areas where it gets wet and it puddles, like right by the steps. And yes. there was a point where I, ste I stepped in one and I nearly slipped and fell on it uh, when I was heading down to, uh, to a concession stand to go grab something. It can be... Uh, a little slippery at times at, at that place after it gets clean. So, you know, little things like that, and I think I, I think that can be taken care of. I, I still think, and, you know, you've gone to some of the Big West locations when you were doing baseball. Sure. I've now seen everyone. I still think it's one of the best facilities uh, you've got within the conference, you know, not just from the amount of people that you can seat, but I think also – some of the things around it but i think there are places that you know can can kind of you know compete a little bit you know cal poly's baggett stadium is very nice and they've made some renovations to you know to their press box the seating area is very nice um you know long beach state is still you know kind of a really fun facility i think i think honestly the other thing is not just in the facility part but I think it's also modernization. I, I, I've seen this at some places around the Big West. One of the things I think they need to get to when it comes to concessions and delivery instead yes. of having people waiting in lines. I think that's something that a lot of people are doing now, and I think it's probably time that, that we kind of get on that too. So 
there are some things that I, I think can kind of get modernized and, and improved, and I think TLC is a great way to put it, Bobby. Well, you know, I really hope that they'll – because it starts with the will to do it. I think that's yeah. – within the program, no question there's will. Now you need yeah. – there's a certain amount – we can say TLC – but we ought to put the, the C might also stand for cash. You have to yeah. have some money. You can't do it just on hopes and dreams. It's not that hope is not a strategy. You have to be yeah. able to come up with funds to do some of these things. And I don't think it has to be whole hog. But when you talk about upgrading the food, I mean that should be basically fairly simple. That's yeah, not I, considered I to be a huge problem other places let's put it that way I, I, I would I would agree I think the, the point on that one is more along the lines of fan experience and you know the it, it's a great place to watch a game but you can never settle on fan experience I think you always have to kind of look at what can you do to improve it and I think that's you know, convenience nowadays um, and especially after the pandemic in, in trying to eliminate long lines and people standing next to each other for a long period of time. I think that's also one of those areas where fan convenience um, you know, can, can really play a big part. That's a great idea. So, I mean, I am all on board with the Domo Turf being item number one because that seems to be a health and safety issue. Apologies to Stephen Sy and his sports writers, his dad body. <laughs> but just saying, it's like we there are things that can be done. That is not going to be – I mean, you plan for that. Because everybody knows there's a shelf life on those things. So that shouldn't be an expense that anyone's like, whoa, we got hit in the face from left field with that. That shouldn't be one of those things. So that would be a priority. And the other things we're talking about, to have a place where kids can practice safely, uh, to be able to stay dry, shouldn't have to depend on the weather, whether you can get your practice cuts in. So I think yeah. there are some things that can be done here. Josh, thanks for uh, for jumping in on it. You're, you have more recent experience, certainly, than I do on that one. Bobby, I appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you. Good stuff. Josh Pacheco, and uh, who is UH's baseball voice, done a great job with that. We are going to take a quick timeout. We'll be right back on ESPN Honolulu. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii app. Welcome back on this Wednesday edition of the program. Tomorrow, the start of the NBA Finals. Lots of interest on that. Betting lines are established. And yes, the Golden State Warriors are a significant favorite. We'll be right back with more on ESPN Honolulu. Now, Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. Welcome back on this Wednesday. Time now for our favorite daily feature. The Bobby Curran Show presents Buy or Sell. Good morning, Bobby. Let's go ahead and jump straight into Buy or Sell today. Of course, 
Draymond Green and his podcast decided to stir up a little bit of drama as they had Colin Coward on his podcast. And they were talking about those Durant and Curry Warriors, the Warriors that won two finals and Kevin Durant winning both finals MVPs for that team. On his podcast, Draymond said the game plan still kind of revolved about around Curry's gravity on the court saying he was double teamed most of the time and while Kevin Durant was still the best player on the court it certainly helped that Curry was dealing with a lot of double teams now on Twitter Durant did not agree about the double team saying that is 100% false Draymond retorted back said you got to hear the whole take before getting baited into tweeting champ and then Durant ended off things said hey We'll agree to disagree, all love. And of course, NBA Twitter kept up the fighting for the two adults who've already made up in the past over a private face-to-face talk. Oh yeah, and an Olympic gold medal as well. Buy or sell? It's a feud we desperately want to call beef. In reality, these two just tend to not agree with each other a lot. Well, I think that I think it happens. I also think. Draymond Green has a knack for instigation because and but it takes two because Kevin Durant is thin-skinned so he's the perfect foil for Draymond Green I'm buying that if you didn't have these two you'd have to invent them buy or sell and we still have some fun off-season news for the NFL. We talked about probably a couple weeks ago. We highlighted Kyler Murray not being in OTAs. Another mobile quarterback also skipping out on these voluntary OTAs is Lamar Jackson. Of course, this year we will be playing on that fifth-year option. As he looks for a new contract, there have been reports saying he's willing to wait till next off-season for that contract. But a lot of people agree with the type of play that Lamar's playing with. You probably want that contract sooner rather than later. Buy or sell? Lamar Jackson deserves a contract on par with the Josh Allens and the Deshaun Watsons of the NFL. You may disagree on a dollar total, but in terms of the urgency with which he needs to be signed, I am completely buying that his type of game accompanied with his frame, he needs to get that contract now. If I'm him, I might play hardball with the club on this one. Buy or sell. And finally, in tribute to the namesake, Madden will be, the video game Madden, will be going back to their original cover athlete as John Madden will return as the cover of the famous Madden video games. Of course, John Madden did pass away last December and will be remembered as, you know, the great coach, the great broadcaster, one of the greatest growers of the game. Buy or sell, there is no one more influential for the growth of football than John Madden. I agree with that. I'm buying that totally. I think that he is a guy who, even after he ended coaching, and he ended coaching because he would no longer get on planes. I mean, that's why he stopped coaching. He was only 42 years old, and he was quite successful. But he decided that when he went into the broadcast booth, he was still going to have a coach persona because he said, my obligation is to teach people this game. 
How many others who have gone into the booth have just completely passed on that little bit of responsibility? But John Madden took it seriously. I, I just think he's a perfect choice to be on the Madden game. To be the namesake. Yes. Perfect. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And that is today's Buy or Sell on ESPN Honolulu. Well, let's, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about, uh, this is interesting. I said this yesterday. I don't believe Steph Curry could give a rat's tail about whether he's the MVP, about whether it's, it could be Clay Thompson or Draymond Green. I think he's fine with it. I don't think he, I think what he really wants is to win this title. That, that, I think, is very important to him. I think the rest of it's just gravy. And, but I just saw this. This is amazing. He, w- he would be, I don't know, it's a matter of days or months because I think he's still 30. I, he is still 34. The only person who, who was that old when he won it was John Havlicek, who won the, M- the finals MVP at 34. I don't think of Steph Curry as, the, as old. Do you? I just don't have that thought. I think of him as he's still kind of a boyish type. And I just don't think of him as that old. Maybe it's because he's also light on his feet, takes really good care of himself. So he seems fairly fit. He's not a guy that struggles with, it's not like, you know, some guys are an old 34 or 5. Look at James Harden. Hips, you know, weight gain, all that stuff. But you don't see that as an issue because Steph Curry works so hard at it. But here's the reality. He's 34. I mean, you know, that's all by an NBA standard, especially for a guy playing at an MVP level. That's that's pretty long in the tooth. Just saying. And I think when you look at a guy like Stephen Curry, YB may not think of him as like, oh, he's already, you know, 34, 35, all that stuff. He's still playing on the same level oh, as no he did question. like eight years ago. Sure, he's not scoring like 30 points a game, but he never but he needed can. to. He can, but he never needed to. He's not shooting the best he's ever shot it from three, but he doesn't need to. He's still one of the greatest shooters in NBA history, and there's nothing from the last couple of years that's proven otherwise that, oh, maybe he's slowing down. I mean, we did see injury issues, but... How much of that do you put on Curry, or how much do you put that on Marcus Smart for rolling over his ankle like that? So I think as the years go by, it kind of just feels like, oh, when are we going to see him slow down? When is is his shooting going to slow down first? Is his slashing going to slow down first? But with the style of play that he has and the just mass amount of like weapons he has in his arsenal, whether it be Clay, Draymond, now, now they got Wiggins. Now they got Moody. Now they got Kaminga. They still got Wiseman waiting in the ranks. He's just recovering from his injury, and he gets to take his sweet time because they don't need him this year. You know what I'm finding interesting is because most guys you could put into two categories as shooters. They're either off the dribble guys, off the bounce, or they're catch-and-shoot guys. Steph Curry is the only one that's got more than 700 catch-and-shoot threes and off-the-dribble threes. But get this, he has more than 1,100 of each. I mean, he is so far ahead of the pack. It's crazy. He'll be a hard guy to catch even when he does retire because you got to get a lot of shots up to even be in the ballpark. 
I mean, if you're not a really great shooter, who's going to let you take that many? And really, when you look at the NBA, the only person I think that has the play style of a Steph Curry is Trey Young. And we can talk about, you know, how good Trey Young is. He's not Steph Curry. No. At least I, not yet. I mean, there's only been, what, four years in, of his career? In terms of just raw shooting ability and range, the guy who comes to my mind is Dame, Dame Lillard. Because he just has... It's rare that guys have the extraordinary range that Steph does. And Dame Lillard's one who does. But it's rare. You don't see it every day. I mean, it's not... I saw Peyton Pritchard take, you know, is really be routine for Steph. But I saw him take him. I'm like, whoa, that's deep. And then I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, well, how deep is that? It's probably 25 and a half feet. I mean, it's routine by Steph Curry's standards. But, I mean, for the rookie out of Oregon, I thought that was, uh, I thought that was like, oh, geez, if you miss that one, you're going to hear it on the bench. Not, although not necessarily. 296-1420 is the number. We got Don Murphy on the line. Hey, Murph, how are you? Good, Bobby. How you doing? I'm doing well. What's happening? Good. I don't know if you got a chance to read that article this morning in the paper on Jacqueline Allo. I did. Yeah. She is. I, I don't know, Murph. You're a, you played baseball, so you have a, maybe a slightly better grasp on this than some people. When have you ever seen a power hitter that is, I mean, because she's obliterated the career home run record, but she's also the second leading hitter by average in the country. Is that is that crazy? Oh, listen, if I had her swing when I was playing, I'd have hit a lot more home runs. Oh, I hear you. No question about yeah. that. That's really – she is – she's sort of a delightful person, too. She seems quite humble. She, you know, yeah. she's taken a lot from her dad, and she's a, she's a good te teammate really like her. That tells you something. That doesn't always happen yeah. with the superstars. Right, yeah, and I just wanted to give a shout-out to, to her and her parents. I don't know if you saw the interview that she did the other day after the game – uh, in regards to the Texas shooting and everything, she was phenomenal. She's such a well-spoken. She really represents our state very well. Yeah, she, she is a sensational. I'm going to miss when she goes off to, I don't know where it is in softball. I do know some of the better players do get professional contracts. She's certainly in line for one of those. Oh, absolutely. And she'll, uh, she plays, to, as a matter of fact, if anybody's a baseball fan in uh, tomorrow, they Oklahoma plays at 8:30 on ESPN. They get the games all day on ESPN. Uh, just watch it, just to watch her swing. It is phenomenal. I mean, she's just something else. She has that thing wired like nobody. I saw one of the former home run champions say, "You know what? She never swings at a pitch that she can't hit." I mean, who's? Yeah. <laughs> where do you see a power hitter with that plate discipline? It's unheard of. Boy, she's something else. She and really that, is. That, uh, that whole atmosphere at that College World Series, I went when Hawaii was in there, is just terrific. Yeah, I mean, I, that would be just, a, that's, that really should something. be a bucket list thing. I hope Hawaii gets back because that would be fun to go again. Oh, just it's great. It's just, you know, it's real family atmosphere and a lot of people and a lot of fans and good fun. Good stuff. Murph, thanks for the call. I appreciate you. It was good to point that out. 296-1420 is the number. Uh, Jocelyn Allo is a in mega talent i i just was i was pouring over this i said mentioned this to tanner when i came in i said i've never seen this before someone who hits 497 i mean that's her batting average and she has blown away the career home run record 122 the next closest person ever was 95 that is that's like 
demolishing the record, just destroying it. And But I was amazed at some of the former home run champions who were giving their commentary. And basically, they were talking about her the way, you know, guys like Reggie Miller and others of that will talk about Steph Curry. It's like, listen, you think Reggie Miller doesn't have an ego about his shooting? Or, you know, other guys, Dale Ellis or Ray Allen. But when guys like that say, no, Steph Curry's the best, trust me, he's the best. Well, that's what we're hearing about uh, Jocelyn Allo. I mean, they're saying the same kinds of things about her. Crazy stuff. I appreciate Murph uh, calling in on that one. 15 minutes past the hour. If you have something you want to chat about, Go ahead, 296-1420. we got to take a quick time out. We'll be right back. You can text us or call us, and we'll be back right after this. You are listening to The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Text or call the show at 296-1420. Welcome back. It's about 20 minutes past the hour. Uh, thrilled you're with us. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to have uh, Marco Martinez. He is a uh, podcaster for the 49ers. We're, I'm anxious to get thoughts because we keep hearing that they may be closer, the 49ers, that is, on dealing Jimmy Garoppolo. I actually think, and this makes sense to me, and we'll see if Marco agrees with it, I kind of think... The longer they can hang on, the better, because I think it's more and more likely with the passage of time that somebody else is going to develop a need through injury, whatever, through for a, a good quarterback. And Jimmy G is one of the better ones available. I just think you may not have been able to get your price, but if he comes back and he's throwing and he looks the same, then I think you get then I think you get paid for Jimmy G for his services and I that would seem to me to be the thing there's no, there's no question it's Trey Lance that's the deal they you know and I I love the analogy that we heard from one of our guys that said basically look you can't you just can't do what they're sort of thinking about doing which is you can't move the new girlfriend into the apartment while the old ones still live in there. I was like, oh, boy, is that ever right? That, that's, that's not something that would be workable. Um, so, I, listen, I don't know where you live, but I can tell you what. There was never a time in my life where that would have been a good thing. So I kind of feel like you yeah, probably do owe it to Jimmy G. I mean, he's been a f fabulous teammate. I, I think you want to move him to a place where he can play. The problem is that right now I'm not sure where that place is. Where can he? Tanner, you got a suggestion. Where could Jimmy G go in on, with a team that's not set and maybe compete for the job? They're few and far between at this point. At this point, you just got to wait and see, like, if there's a team that's close enough that doesn't necessarily have the answer at quarterback that they found this offseason and are ready to commit because Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be a one year and then we'll find another guy. He's not right. a bridge quarterback. I agree. He is as close to a guy that will help you get to a Super Bowl than anyone else on the market. 
at the moment. I mean, who else is there? Baker? Well, Baker would be the but, other guy that I think some would mention, but I'm I'm kind of with you on that. Because Jimmy led, I won't say Jimmy led the, the 49ers to the Super, almost to the Super Bowl and then to the Super Bowl, but he certainly was a major contributor to those San Francisco offenses, whether they actually got there or were one step away in last season. So when you look around at a team that needs a quarterback, that's in that playoff push. I just don't know who that is because a lot of those teams found their answer. The Colts got Matt Ryan. Uh, like That was probably the best answer for Jimmy Garoppolo, but unfortunately him getting shoulder surgery this offseason was probably the the worst thing that could have possibly that he could have possibly done in the eyes of the 49ers because what can you do? You're not going to trade a guy with shoulder surgery and not be able to show that he can still throw the ball but, as well as he did. But on the other side, if this if you need if he needs protecting or defending, I think if you need the surgery, you need the surgery. What's the sense of putting it off? I mean, I just think you kind of have to if it's called for and if you're getting the straight medical opinions and they're in agreement, I just think you got to do it. To to hold off on that to make the 49ers happy. I just don't think makes good sense. I think Jimmy's young enough. He's got to worry about Jimmy G. That's my take on it. Two nine six fourteen. It is the it, the timing of it was horrendo, no question. I mean, because frankly, I don't think anyone was willing to pay the 49ers price as long as there were question marks on Jimmy's arm. I mean, that makes sense, right? And then realistically, I the only team that really desperately would need a quarterback. The two teams I think of are Seattle and the 49ers aren't trading Seattle and Carolina. And why would Carolina want to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo when they're still in the middle of rebuilding? When So it's just a situation where he'll probably have to be pushed somewhere for like a seventh round pick. But I just don't know who would be shopping for him. Like, the only other guys, teams that would be like, if your quarterback does bad, then maybe you could trade for him if you're still in a playoff push. But in those situations, those quarterbacks are being paid like a lot of money. Let like the get... first team that came to my brain, my brain was, well, if Kirk Cousins does bad, maybe the Vikings go to Jimmy. But then, I'm, but then you're thinking, okay, but now you have both Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo's contract, and that's just not going to happen. Well, let's face it. I didn't think the 49ers were going to be willing to be paying Jimmy G up till now even. I mean, because he's, you know, he's got a big-time contract. Here's the deal, and this is how it could work for Jimmy G. Let's just – I'm not wishing anyone don't, – don't anyone get this. I have nothing to say this except I'm coming up with a name. Let's just say Justin Herbert or Russell Wilson tears an ACL. You have got to get a – I mean, listen, these injuries happen every year. It's probably more likely than not that it happens to somebody. But I just think you've got to then – you've got to be able to pivot and get a quarterback that you know can play. I, I just think that's the opportunity for a Jimmy J right now. Probably also true for Baker. But I'll tell you what, it wouldn't be that close to me because it's really a matter of personality. Jimmy G is a much more team-friendly guy than Baker Mayfield is. I think that's obvious. 
Baker Mayfield is a bit of a, you know, a wild horse. He's got some of that in him. I, I think there's no, not much doubt he's less agreeable. I, I just think Jimmy G kind of is a guy who's willing to go along and fit into the team structure, and he always has been. I don't think he was crazy necessarily about some of the nonsense he took from Tom Brady. But he took it, and he never complained publicly about it. That's to his credit, because I think Tom, listen, do you, anyone think Tom Brady's not a little prickly? Trust me on this one. Tom Brady is not, you know, your perfect guy. I, I just think that's inevitable. You kind of take a look at where he's been, what he's done, all that stuff. Great player, no question. But I don't think he's the easiest guy to be a backup for. 296-1420 is the number. Uh, go ahead. If you want to chat with us, you could. You want to get in. If you have a question for Marco Martinez, that would be a very useful. You could even just uh, tweet this, uh, text it to us because we're going to have Marco Martinez from the 49ers podcast on very shortly. We're going to get to this Jimmy G thing. I, it wouldn't be close to me. If someone said, okay, you, need, you desperately need a quarterback who's available, if you subscribe to this, that the best two just on physical play are probably Baker Mayfield and Jimmy G, I'm Jimmy G all day long. I just need, you need a guy who's agreeable in that thing. You don't need a, a boat rocker or a guy who's coming in there to make demands. I don't think it makes sense. Let's do this. Let's take a quick timeout. And when we come back, we'll have uh, Marco Martinez from the 49ers podcast. Stay with us on ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by Dr. Charles Arakaki at Ohana Men's Clinic. Visit drcharlesarakaki.com. Welcome back on this Wednesday edition, and uh, my apologies, I've got uh, daylight savings dyslexia. I mixed up the uh, the time. I, I usually a month or so in, I'm pretty much on board with this. But my apologies to Marco Martinez from 49er Red Zone is with us right now. Marco, how goes it? How's it going, Bobby? No worries about the time. I, I forgot that the time changed as well, so no worries. Yeah, we don't have daylight savings team here, which screws us up. It'd be a lot easier if we just went along with everybody else or or uh, everybody got rid of it. Let me get to this, Marco, because this is, I think, I, I have a strong opinion on this next topic because I just think if I was looking for a quarterback, and it's tough because there's not a lot of spots left, and there's not a lot of what I consider to be quality quarterbacks. I'm down to really two. I think it's Jimmy G and Baker Mayfield by abilities, but I don't think it's that close when you examine what kind of team guys, what kind of personality. 
I'd be a Jimmy G guy all day on that one. Oh, I absolutely agree with you, Bobby. So, like, that's a lot. That's the biggest thing possible, right? Like, you want a team, a guy to lead your team, and I don't think a lot of people are in on Baker on that, and that's why he wasn't moved um, to a couple teams. They're they're very questioning his uh, character concerns, and Jimmy Garoppolo has all the leadership qualities you can look for in a quarterback. You know, it, that goes back with Jimmy G till even when he was backing up Brady. Because Brady is not the kindest, gentlest guy to be behind. And I always thought you, you couldn't have asked more for Jimmy G, who's a go-along, get-along guy. You could tell Belichick liked him. It's why I think he got to the 49ers and sort of for cheap. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think the 49ers got him for, for a cheap, right? They get him for a second-round pick. You get a guy who comes in and he changes the culture in the locker room. He, he becomes a, a great leader for that organization so whatever whatever team gets jimmy garoppolo they're 100 percent getting a great leader for their locker room um now the, the play on the field it's a different again different conversation you could have about jimmy garoppolo but one thing you can 100 percent say about jimmy garoppolo is his team goes to battle for him every week and they loved him genuinely as a leader and as a as a guy in, in the locker room he is a guy not the quarterback you know, there, there's quarterbacks who they're in the locker room and, and they're the quarterback and, and they're they're just the extra they have that extra personality they they just know who they are and I think Jim Lee just fits in as one of the guys. You know this is interesting because it's gotten to the point where I don't think the 49ers are going to get and they think they realized it somewhere along the line here that they're not going to get a reasonable price for Garoppolo until two things happen until he proves he can throw which I don't have a lot of doubts about. I expect him to be, he's going to be fine when they, he does get to throwing. And then the second thing is that somebody develops a need. I just think that's got to happen if he's going to, you know, if he's going to get close to the price that I think the Niners believe he's worth. And I absolutely agree. So, like, that, that's the biggest you know, conversation that Florida Niners fans have had throughout the time, right? Is like, what, what, how can you value Jimmy Garoppolo for so high when you already have his replacement in the building. So that drops Jimmy Garoppolo's value down already as it is. And then now that he can't throw in teams are already filled their, their rosters with quarterbacks. And then you throw in the expensive, the, the expensive price he's going to uh, cost a team. And I think that's the biggest thing is more so than his injury, right? Cause we know he's going to be able to throw eventually within the next month or so or with half month. So the biggest obstacle to get Jimmy Garoppolo off the 49ers or, or to another team to be their leader is that $26 million uh, uh, cap hit. And the 49ers either have to take take a pay, take a hit and pay some of his contract, or Jimmy uh, Garoppolo and his, his agent are going to have to renegotiate his contract for another team. Yeah, that makes all of that, I think, Marco, is making sense to me. Let me get your thought on, on this topic. You know, somebody had said to me, and this really, I, I really, somehow this resonated with me. So I was talking to somebody, and their comment was that they said, well, what the 49ers are doing right now is kind of untenable because what they're thinking about doing, apparently, is moving the new girlfriend into the apartment while the old girl's friend's still there. And I thought, you know, in some ways that's probably right <laughs> because they pointed out, somebody pointed out, Jimmy G is tremendously popular with his teammates. It's not like there's anybody has anything against Trey Lance, it's just that you got two popular guys. Why have that divisiveness? I, I understand how they're thinking. Oh, no, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. Like that divisiveness could could cause the locker room to change in a way. But I think is, is I, I think John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan understand their locker room to the to to a T. 
and they understand that Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo are not going to cause any drama. They're going to make sure that the team understands, like, hey, like, at the end of the day, we're here to win. We're here to compete with each other. And, and we're just hoping to win a Super Bowl together. And I think if Jimmy Garoppolo is on the roster, which I don't think he will be, I think that eventually he'll end up being cut if they cannot move him. Um, just because you get that extra cap to, to roll over and everything. So I think just the, the character of both quarterbacks will allow them to do so in training camp if they wanted to have both quarterbacks. But I don't think that's an issue at all. And um, I'm, I'm kind of glad the 49ers are willing to do that because not only does it make – Trey Lance a better player because he has all this stuff going on in the media about him not being good and you get to see a quarterback actually thrive in that situation he he looks like one of those young guys who wants to prove all these doubters wrong makes a lot of sense to me I I actually have great belief that Trey Lance is going to be an excellent quarterback for many years to come for the Niners I never thought that and I think when people get polarized a little bit they start to choose a side I think a lot of people probably thought, you know what, they didn't have to trade up to get him because Jimmy G was fine and all this. I, I just kind of think you want to get the best guy you can. I think Trey Lance probably physically a little superior to Jimmy G. But he's got all that experience that he needs to get that Jimmy G's already got. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. The, 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 the trait of the quarterback, Trey Lance, surpasses Jimmy by a mile, in my opinion. The ability to make every throw in the field, the ability, the arm strength to fit it into tight windows, um, the mobility when we go in that, that aspect. So Trey Lance has all the tools. Now, what I, I did like from Trey Lance, so we saw him early last season, right? We saw him with the Arizona Cardinals struggle a bit, and then he comes in uh, week 16 um, against the Houston Texans with pretty much the season on the line. The 49ers lose that game. They're pretty much knocked out of playoff contention in a way. It, it gets a little complicated, but they become – a lot harder to get into the playoffs. He comes in like a seasoned veteran and dials in, and he leads the 49ers to a great victory. He looked very, very refined from the, the previously in the uh, beginning of the season. So that's one thing I did like seeing from Trey Lance because that experience that he got is, is miles ahead of a quarterback that's just coming in and being able to sit behind a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, even though Jimmy isn't the greatest the leader factor was there and he took Trey Lance under his wing and that's the ability that you get the experience you get to, to pick from a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo who was coached by Tom Brady like that is it's invaluable uh, and that's one thing I really really love that the 49ers did for Trey Lance you know what I'm wondering about and because there were rumors and we it turns out they were coming from a place across the country. This was not emanating from San Francisco, as it turned out. But somebody was saying, you know, there's some issues with Lance, that maybe he's not the harder work, the hardest worker that they thought he was, that he wasn't like maybe there's some areas of his game that aren't quite up to snuff. Now, we talked to someone from San Francisco. They said that is complete horse bucky. Nothing to that whatever. He's been exactly what the 49er coaches thought he would be after they'd done the, the diligence on him. They said he's first guy in, last guy out, does an incredible job of learning the offense. He takes great pains with it that none of that stuff was true. So I was wondering, is that someone in your mind, is that someone who's just a troublemaker or trying to drive the price down for Jimmy? Or what were they doing? Uh other than that day, Bobby, what I think it is is 
there's a lot of people out there, right, who they, they want to see quarterback fail. They want to see these teams fail. And, and especially a young quarterback like Trey Lance, it's a perfect opportunity for people to, to bag on, right? So he's a, a young quarterback coming from a SES school, um, doesn't have the experience that a lot of these other quarterbacks have. Why not pick on Trey Lance, who didn't get to play last year? And you have the all the the big question marks surrounding Trey Lance because absolutely there are question marks surrounding Trey Lance. That's not a debate. Like there are, he only played um, 19 games in in college football. He only had 300 and something passing attempts that that season he played. So there's a lot of question marks. So he's a perfect target for a lot of these guys to get clicks and and drive up their narrative that they want to have. And, and at the end of the day, um, a lot of people in this industry um, of sports talk and stuff, and they, they just need to drive attention and bring an audience to what they're trying to push. And I think at the end of the day, that's what people were trying to do with Trey Lance when it comes to talking about how he's not smart. He was one of the, he was the smartest quarterback in the draft, according to a doctor that did these, these big-time tests. Um, the 49ers thought he was one of the smartest quarterbacks in the draft. So the stuff like that, it's like it's a bunch of, like you said, um, horse uh, horse uh, bucket stuff. So that that's a big thing I think it is as well. I, I remember hearing a story when this draft, last year's draft, before it happened, and a guy who had played with uh, Trey Lance in high school, he'd gone on to the University of Minnesota. He's an offensive lineman. And they were just catching up. And this was after spring practice for both of them. And he called him. This guy from Minnesota called his former teammate, calls Trey Lance. And Trey Lance is in at the stadium in one of the meeting rooms. Season's over. He's breaking down tape to get ready for, you know, his shot with the 49. I thought, wait a second. This is a different level kid. The, The guy who's on Friday night who is, in, when everyone else is out, he's up studying this stuff because he wants to be able to give it his best shot. I thought that's that's part of what Kyle Shanahan loved about this kid. And I absolutely agree. And that's the thing that Trey Lance understands. And he said it before in an interview. He said, I can't say exact words, but he pretty much said in order to be great in the NFL at the quarterback position, you have to sacrifice things that other people are doing. And he understands that this organization is built on the quarterback. You have great quarterbacks that came through here, and he wants to be one of those. He's talking with um, Jerry Rice on a daily. He's he's now working with um, for promotion deals. He understands what it takes to be great in this in, in this league, and he's going to do what it has to take to become great in this in the NFL. I just don't know if there's a better set a starting set of principles or operating kind of structure that you could ask a quarterback to have if he's going to have success. That seems to me to be number one on the list. Oh, yeah, number one on the list is definitely the, the, the drive to be great. If you don't have the drive to be great in anything, why should why should you be the guy? And that's like what I think that Trey Lance had for Kyle Shanahan to be like, that's the guy I want. He has all the other tools, but he has the main thing, the drive to be great. When you have that, sky's the limit. Well, I, I know you're excited about the start of the season, and I, I don't know if when the Niners are their OTAs already underway. Yeah, their OTAs have been underway for uh, for about a week and a half or so. So that's that's been going good. I've heard great things coming out of the 49ers camp from him about uh, Trey Lance. I've spoken to some few people that are 
in the 49ers organization and they're just salivating from their mouth about how great he is. And they said that when 49ers fan base gets to finally see Trey Lance on the field as the full-time starter, that the 49ers fan base is going to be absolutely in love with who the 49ers drafted. You know, a lot of people have made comparisons, physically at least, with uh, Justin Fields, the the Ohio State quarterback who's with the Bears. And, and yet, I'm not sure that Trey Lance looks to me like he's a tiny, tiny bit bigger. I think he's every bit as fast, and I think he has all the arm of Justin Fields. I, I would say that maybe by a very slight margin, he might be he might have a little more to his game. Oh, I would agree. I think I think that their body structure are a little bit different. Um, Trey Lance is a little bit thicker frame. Um, he has that speed that Justin Fields has to break away. Um, arm strength, I think, even pre-draft, um, when we're talking about quarterbacks, I thought Trey Lance had the strongest arm in the draft class. Um, now, the thing is, when, when I was watching Trey Lance, it was so hard to make that quarterback comparison. And the, the quarterbacks that kept coming to mind because of the everything they have. So when I seen Trey Lance pre-draft, the way he was commanding the huddle, commanding the offensive line, he was calling out his own protections um, and all stuff like that. I saw Dak Prescott in terms of IQ-wise, but with the Josh Allen style of play, the mobility and the arm strength. So those are the two quarterbacks that if, if he could blame anywhere between those two quarterbacks, I would be absolutely, absolutely thrilled with. That is not a bad place to be put in the middle of those two. Uh, very, very interesting stuff. Going to be, I think this should be a three-team race. I don't know what you, how you're seeing it, but I think, you know, there's no reason to write off Arizona, although if I was going to, say, separate the top two, it would probably be the Rams and the Niners. I think that Seattle's got a long way to go. What's your thought about the West? Um, I think the West is still one of the best divisions in the NFL. Um, end of the day, even though the, the, the Seattle Seahawks um, got rid of, obviously they got rid of Russell Wilson and stuff like that, I still think they could be a very good team in the NFL because of the, the run game, run first style of play, um, play defense. Um, I don't think they're going to be much in the NFC West, but I think they could actually battle and, and take um, the Arizona Cardinals for a game or the 49ers for a game. It just, when it's the division rivalry, you always have those random upsets. So I think there's ability for that to happen. But like you said, I do think it is a three-team race in the NFC West. I do think all three teams are capable of making the playoffs with the new seven-game, uh, seven-team format. So that's going to be very interesting. Whoever gets that NFC West title, I do believe, will be the number one seed in the NFL for the NFC. Marco, great stuff. Again, Marco is with the Red, the 49ers Red Zone podcast. I so appreciate you making the time for us today, Marco. Hey, thank you for having me on, Bobby, anytime. And Marco Martinez, we'll talk to him again when we get closer to the season. It's about 11 minutes out from the top of the hour. Stay with us. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii app. Welcome back on this Wednesday edition. I, I have to say, after talking to Marco, we had another guy from the 49ers on who basically agreed with this, 
that the and in fact he had pinned down that all of the issues or, or that were pointed out about supposedly about Trey Lance, they were all coming out of the East Coast. There was none of that with, that was San Francisco generated. There was none of it that was around Trey Lance himself or any of his teammates. It was basically somebody who was, as far as I could tell, making it up out of whole cloth. That somebody wanted to basically discourage or certainly discourage fans in San Francisco from embracing Trey Lance. And it sounds like no one is less deserving of that than this guy who's a, he's a workout warrior. He's kind of a crazy person a little bit. He doesn't care about having a social life. He's like, that'll all happen sometime in the future. What I need to do now is I need to be the best quarterback the 49ers could possibly have. That's my job. I mean, if every quarterback took that to heart, I actually think that it would be a little bit different in the league because I think there's a lot of guys that don't have that. There is some. I think when we look at the great ones, the Peyton Mannings and the Tom Brady's and the Drew Breeses, the Aaron Rodgers, I think those guys have that. But I don't think it's completely across the board. I think Trey Lance is still a little unusual, especially at his age. What is the what is Trey now? He had how many years? What is he? Twenty-one or two? He's really young. I just think to have that level of maturity at that age, bonus time for the 49ers. Twenty-two years old. I mean, good golly, that's crazy. That is amazing in a lot of ways. Two nine six fourteen twenty. If you have something. Uh, you could go ahead and dial in. What's your okay, – and this is I, – I recognize we haven't seen enough to have a strong opinion. We're not at practice. We only know the people we're talking to. What's your impression of Trey Lance? Are you optimistic about his future with the 49ers? Unfortunately, with Trey Lance, we still have to take whatever playing time he had last year with a grain of salt because he was playing with that finger injury. And – Injuries to quarterbacks, you kind of have to take into thought, okay, even though it may be a smaller injury, finger, obviously, you need it to hold the ball and throw the ball, and etc. They'll throw, throw off your throwing motion. We know all about throwing off your throwing motion if you look at Baker Mayfield. So we know what he can do. We saw what he did at North Dakota, and we hear all the stories from his draft process. You know, first guy in, last guy out calling his blocking assignments in college, basically doing all the stuff you expect from a pro, a pro quarterback at North Dakota. So you take all that into account. That he still has got teammates that like him. So I'm going to be rolling with Trey if he's going to be starting quarterback for the 49ers. And you hope that those two games where he played okay was just, you know, bad games. I mean, like Patrick Mahomes' first start was okay. He didn't throw a single touchdown. He just threw no, for like he I just threw for like 250 yards, and that was it. Way more common than less for a guy that's getting his first shot in the NFL. How many of those guys are going to be all pro looking? I, I just think that's not likely. I think what happens this year is what's going to matter. We are flat out of time this hour. We'll be right back around the bend on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. Now, Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. 
Well, welcome back. I, I think when you get to the finals, and, and it's just such a tough thing, I was a little surprised, frankly, what a big favorite Caesars has made Golden State. Minus 160 is pretty big. I think it was minus 160 to, to plus 130. That's a bigger spread than I had first heard or first saw from some of the independent books that had come out. But Caesars is one of the big ones. Were you surprised, Tanner, at how big the, the spread was on the series? I feel like if we saw more of the Boston Celtics from the Net series and parts of the Bucks series, it wouldn't be so far apart. What we saw from this Miami Heat series was kind of the worst of the Boston Celtics. And unfortunately, with Robert Williams still dealing with a lot of knee ailments, we see Marcus Smart dealing with that sprained ankle that, sure, he came back from, but he is not the Marcus Smart, you know, before the ankle sprain. You just get a little bit nervous where you see the Boston Celtics get a little more hurt, more hurt. You're seeing the Golden State Warriors, they're getting more healthy and healthier. They're going to see... They're going to see Gary Payton the second comeback in game two, At they hope at least. Otto Porter might make a return from that injury. He's, I haven't heard many reports of that. And Steph, Clay, Draymond, Wiggins, and Poole, and Looney, that, that six-man lineup are all looking healthy and ready to go against this number one defense, of course, of which they were the number two defense. So when you net that, and you include offenses, it's hard to not say that the Boston Celtics are kind of punching up in this final series. Yeah, that's how I see it, but I don't think that minus 160 is a necessarily accurate rendition. I think that's a lot because I think Boston's pretty good, and I think you have to be aware that they do some things really well. They get after people and they're physical. And I think those are two things that are under, maybe underrepresented when people talk about the Boston Celtics. I, I, I like Golden State to win this. I like their experience. I saw one stat today. In terms of how many games total that your team has played in the finals, the, the numbers here are convincing. The Golden State Warriors have a combined 123 games of experience in the NBA Finals. Boston, zero. They don't have a single player that has been in an NBA Finals. I, does that make a difference? I, I, I tend to think that in key moments that that could make a difference because let's face it, it doesn't need to make a big difference. A small difference will suffice. I mean, if you're talking about that level of experience, I mean, you couldn't match the kind of experience that, you know, Draymond and Clay and Steph have. I mean, that is, you, you know, that's hard won. That's hard earned. There's no question about that. They both won and lost in those crucibles of competition. So I just think that that's got to help you in some ways you have some kind of muscle memory to fall back on where guys like Tatum and Jalen Brown, these guys are excellent ball players, but they have none of that. So I just, I'm kind of saying, yeah, I think your way you put it is probably good. The Celtics are punching up. 
think and, that might be the way to look at it. And if we see a lot more of the Celtics that we saw from the Heat series, I mean, it's fair to say that if the series goes the Celtics way, it's probably Celtics and seven if you're on the favor of Boston. But if you see from the last two weeks, Warriors probably could take this in five. If, wow, that would be just dis- in some ways I would even be dis I'm a Warrior fan, as you know. I would be disappointed with that. Because as you know I want to see more basketball than that. We all do. But if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both don't, you know, show up because they both like you've said, they have that tendency, especially more Jalen Brown than Tatum. Tatum has his chances of not being of not being there a lot. But I don't think that's gonna happen. Yeah. Because I I hope they'll understand the weight of the situation and not be you know taken down by the pressure of it. This is something that Jason Tatum's wanted back in twenty I think this is twenty eighteen when Kyrie was still on the Boston Celtics. He said like if they went to the finals, they were beating the Golden State Warriors. That's he felt confident in that, and he felt it was more the team beating themselves than them losing. And when you look at that Boston Celtics team led by Kyrie Irving, it's really hard to not say there was a lot of inner turmoil with that team because I also believe they had numbers and numbers and numbers of players' meetings and all that stuff. So Jason Tatum, we know he wants it, and we know that obviously everyone on that team wants it, but it's just a tough ask, especially against a Golden State Warriors team who, you know, they want to come back. They want to get back to their championship-winning ways. And want to show, hey, we don't need Kevin Durant. And, hey, maybe Kevin Durant needed us. You know, it's funny. I, I'm Now, I could easily see Draymond Green getting into that head just because of what we talked about because he loves to rent space in other people's craniums. But I don't know that Clay Thompson or Steph Curry even look at the world that way. I, I just think those guys both felt like Kevin Durant was one of their guys. One of the, you know, he, when he was a guy on that team, he was one of their guys, and that was, that's all that they need to know about it. He's like committed to winning. They liked, I think they liked him personally. I have never seen a player of Steph Curry at Steph Curry's level ever leave the court in a competitive game to be the, one of the guys helping Kevin Durant into the. You remember that? That was unbelievable. He left the court. They had to put a sub in for Steph Curry because he wanted to help get Kevin Durant settled in the locker room. That's a teammate right there. That's a guy that says, how else could a guy say better, I care about this and you? Didn't matter much. I mean, it seemed like it seemed like Kevin Durant, in retrospect, after he left, it seemed like he had his mind made up. It's like, no, MVPs aren't enough. It's not really my team. I got to go to a place where it's going to be my team. Well, you know, let me just remind everybody what's happened since. One playoff series win, one, for Kevin Durant since he left there. I mean, I, at some point, don't we have to, you know, the, everybody says about the pros, these, this is the productivity league. That's what this is. It's about winning. And... Kevin Durant's not doing any winning. Now, did he get hooked up with a couple of crazos, maybe? Because Kyrie's a little crazy, and I think James Harden has shown he's a little crazy. I don't think his the guys he got paired up with were the best possibles. 
my take. And I'll say probably his best chances of ever winning a ring without the Golden State Warriors was probably on the Thunder. They were up three to one, one. Yep. on that Golden State Warriors team. The same Warriors team that had the best record in the regular season in NBA history. The same Warriors that blew their own 3-1 lead the series afterwards. And Kevin Durant decided, hey, Russell Westbrook wasn't enough. And left for Golden State. So, it's always going to be that huge what if. You know, what if he stayed on the Thunder? Do they still see the production they they saw? Because they did get Paul George. After that, I that saw was an without with Sam Presti that said it was not possible to keep Durant, Westbrook, and Harden. They were not going to be able to do it. With well, Sour I'm not Cap. even talking about with Harden. Okay, because I'm talking about the because it was the three of them. Do you remember? Or that's when they went to the finals. Yes, but I was mostly talking about his last playoff run with them when it was, I believe, Sir was Sir. I think Serge was still on the team at that point. Yeah. So because they had chosen to pay Serge over James Harden. So that's all that drama, but I. It's gonna be that what if? What if? What if Durant stayed in Oklahoma City? Would they have had another run the next year? But at that point, Russell Westbrook was on his Brody mode, because Brody. Durant was out for the season before then, and he had the yeah. average of triple double. So that was already the writing was on the wall that Russell Westbrook wanted it to be his team. Well, I, I have never gotten this. And the, where the, when I first really got a grasp on that some guys are like this or feel this way was probably with the Shaquille Kobe thing. With the Lakers, I'm like, okay, you guys have it rolling. You know, they are just blowing people away in, in throughout the playoffs. And then somehow there was all this, suddenly there was talk that they couldn't coexist together. I was like, you God, are you guys missing the point or what? And it's something that Shaq's regretted to this day. He always talks about how he feels like it was basically his fault that they broke up because he wanted to be the superstar. He wanted to be the number one guy. And he always said the last couple of years, especially since Kobe's passing, where they should have stayed on the same team. They would have won probably what? Right, 10, six, 13, seven, 14, oh, hey, 18 I, more championships. Well, eight. <laughs> Come on now, 18. I know. But still, but no, I hear what you're saying. This is going to There was no reason to think it was going to end anytime soon because they had they had as my friend used to say, they had the ingredients. They did have a number of things you absolutely have to have. They had the huge baby best po- and most positive post presence we've seen in the modern day. And then you had you know, the the next best thing to Michael Jordan and pretty damn close to Michael Jordan in the backcourt. You know, that was pretty tough. That was a tough sled to get that kind of talent together. I mean, it really does feel like in like 10, maybe like fifth, like 10 years after KD retires, he's probably going to come out with that statement of, oh, I probably should have, you know, stayed on a, a blank team. I don't know which team he's going to say for that one and be less selfish. Because that will be one thing that will be, uh, that'll just be the one mark on Kevin Durant's career. Yep, I agree is that with you. he wasn't able to win a championship by himself as yep. the number one guy, and he, as much as he wanted to be that number one guy, he could never win because. But of that. I think that's a thing that only players care about. I think everybody else looked at that team with Durant and Curry and Thompson and. 
green and just said, what a team. What a team. I don't think everybody else looks at it like that. I think that's a fan thing. I don't think pro most pro athletes, I don't, I'm telling you what, I don't think Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, Steph Curry give a rat's tail about any of that. They cared about having a team that could win and win handily. We got Sean on the line. What's up, Sean? Hey, how's it going, Bobby? Going good, man. What's up? I, I love your conversation about the NBA. I totally agree that Stephen Curry is long in the tooth. I I still get the feeling he's got pedigree and championship uh, championships ahead that he can win, and especially with his team, they're young. Their, their second team plays a lot better sometimes than their first team. Yeah, and they, they kept it. That Moses Moody and, you know, the uh, Jonathan Kuminga. I mean, some of the guys yep. on that second team with, uh, what's his name, um, Peyton the second. I mean, when they yep. put that team out, you've got the same elements that you had on the first team. you got guys that can look at Moses Moody shoot the thing. you got scorers. you got defenders. you got the whole bit on the second team even. Yeah. And that's why I, I honestly feel I, I think this the series is going to go six. I don't see Boston winning a game in San Francisco, not the playoffs. They could have done, they did that in the, the regular season, but they didn't have the Clay Thompson from Game Six right. in Dallas. The one guy I'm going to be watching, Bobby, is Looney because Looney destroyed Dallas on the boards, and I don't know how many second chance rebounds that he got that turned into three point shot. I love that I mean, guy's game. I love Looney's game. You know, he had the hip surgery, and so they said his explosiveness, his vertical is not what it was. But have you seen how quickly he takes lateral steps to get a loose ball? He's incredibly quick to the ball when you're on the ground. Not, not vertical. I'm just talking about he'll take two full steps to come up with a loose ball. The guy's something else. I love him. Yeah, so do I. And I, uh, I, that's why I, I do think that uh, Golden State's going to – I do think it's going to go six. I, five is a little little too much because I do think Boston's going to win at least two games. But I don't see them winning. I see them winning at home. I don't see them winning on the road. I, you I know don't. what? The, nine, the uh, Golden State Warriors are 9-0 and in the playoffs at the Chase Center. Just saying. They're a tough yeah. out. They're a tough out there. They and the saw. one element people, the one element people forget is the crowd and the energy that they feed off of. Yeah, they have that. But no I do, question. It's a I great crowd. That's a great crowd at the Chase Center. I have to, oh. I have to say. And I do think it's going to come down to two things: who owns the boards and who turns it over least. That's what it's going to come down to. And I think the boards, you know. The one game that Dallas won is because they had the edge in rebounding. That's the only game they won in that series. And Dallas is a good team. Yeah, I agree. But the Warriors made them look, you know. Ordinary. You know, yes. Or, yeah. No, no question I mean, about it. It was good stuff. They did the same thing that I thought they would do. Let Luka get his, make sure no one else gets theirs, and control the boards. And that's how they won that series. No question. Sean, good stuff. Thanks for the call. It's 17 minutes past 8 o'clock. Got to take this quick time out. Be right back around the bend on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. 
The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the Waianae Coast. Welcome back. I, you know, I thought it was interesting because we talked about this a few days ago when we saw the crowd at the Chase Center. I don't know if it's style of play because I think part of this has to be how attractive the nature – because it attracted me right away. I just love the absence of iso ball. I just the, – the whole bit, like st- – st- this is an article of faith with Steve Kerr. He basically eschews the pick and roll. That's not what they do. What they do is they whip the ball around the perimeter. Now they'll take an inside pass and then right back out opposite corner. Then what it is is ball movement, constant ball movement and motion. I love that. I just think it's so much more fun to watch. My guess is that that's proven to be extremely attractive to the Chase Center crowd. Now, they had the old arena, and they, they packed that and made noise, but I just think this place is like, it sort of seems like it's special. I mean, part of the carrying on, that I and this is some guys carry on and it bugs you, and other guys carry on and you kind of enjoy it. I'll give you my examples of that. There are guys who can, you know, who just sort of go nuts. It's self-serving. They're self-aggrandizing. I've seen guys like that, and and to me, that doesn't draw me in. Steph Curry has a way of doing it like he's sort of celebrating with you as opposed to pointing fun at opponents. He just looks like a guy who's he's, he's, he's a professional player making a fortune, and he thinks it's the greatest job ever, and I agree with him. I, I What's not to like about it? He doesn't – his – kind of, I don't know, what some people call show-offy stuff, doesn't bother me. Uh, for some reason, I, he looks like a guy who's having fun. There's other guys, when I see them doing this, pulling the Ritz, I'm thinking, I'll give you one example of a guy who occasionally does it is Anthony Edwards on the T-Wolves. His kind of just rubs me the wrong way. I'm like, I feel like saying, first of all, but he hasn't been around long enough doing this yet. Um, that's just my thought. It's Maybe it's unfair. But that's sort of how I feel. I don't know if you share this, but Steph Curry's celebrations are not aimed at anybody. They're sort of just fun. And he looks like he's having a great time, and the crowd has a great time with him. I just think that's a spectacular home court advantage. I, you know, I was reading the story, and it's, you feel terrible about this. I'm not blaming it. It's not the city of Milwaukee or anything, but the people who got shot right outside of what do they call it? Deer Park? I think that outside place at Milwaukee where the people hang out and drink beer and because they can't get enough people in the arena. I think it might be called Deer Park. But that's, you know, and they shot a bunch of people there. I was like, holy smokes. We are losing the plot in this country at times. This stuff's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be war uh, craziness. 296-1420 is that number. About 24 minutes uh, past the hour. You may have uh, something you want to talk about. I'd love to hear from you if you you want to jump in on this. The um, I, And I, I, I'm trying to separate my own bias because I like the Warriors. And I like them because of the way they play. 
I just am a huge believer in the in the constant ball movement. I you know to make an extra pass to to not only make an extra one to pass up a good shot in favor of a great one. I enjoy that style of play. If there's one style of basketball that bugs me, it's dumping it into the post, back in, back in, back in, back in, and turn around and drop it in. I could, you could keep the NBA if that's what it was. I just don't have any interest in that. I, I don't think I'm alone on this one either. I just think that post-up ISO game, just not for me. Dear District, okay, what did I say? Dear Park, yeah, Dear District. So, I mean, that's, you know, that looks like it should be a good fun thing. And then you had people getting shot there. I'm like, what is up with this? Didn't seem quite right, did it? Anyway, that's my thought. Let's see if I can find, I'm looking for something here and I'm going to go find it. And we have, because we have another guest coming up, and which I'm looking forward to. See if I can uh, find it right here. And I did. And, uh, ooh, that's tomorrow, actually. I'm I'm thrilled that we have uh, uh, Jerome DeRossier tomorrow. He's one of my favorite players. One of, uh, in recent times here, he's one of those guys that's sort of an arresting personality. We will have, let's see if I can find it. Um, yep, we're going to have Adam Taylor, who covers the Celtics. I wonder if he feels like, I mean, this is a guy who covers that team, and I'm wondering if he thinks they're punching up, which I think I will have to ask him. We'll have them on in a few minutes, and, and that would be kind of fun. Are they punching up? Is that the feeling for most of the Celtic fan base and the people who cover the team? Do they feel like, okay, you know, they already know they're an underdog. Do they th are they thinking, hey, it's the world against us. We're no, we, we're no damn underdog. You know, they might be thinking that. When they, you know, we, what is that? What's the old saying? With that, the Mexican guys, we don't need no stinking. I can't remember. But anyway, that was one of those funny expressions. But these guys, I my guess is they most of them are realistic and understand, listen, the, the they have way more championship experience than we do. That's how this is. Now go now go play above it. Go play above your weight. Two nine six, fourteen twenty. I would almost guarantee you that's how Marcus Smart sees it, because that guy wears that competitive thing on his face. I mean, it's like it's it's like a it's like a, uh, a mask that competitiveness with that guy. So yeah, would I be surprised if he was you know, a little bit more like that? Nope, I wouldn't. I would expect it. In fact, uh, go ahead if you have something that you want to talk about. We'll take your calls. You can I, I, and I'll take any perspective you want to give us on it. Because I think there's a lot going on here, and it's part of what I think will be kind of fun. So we'll check it out. 296-1420. And uh, if you feel like you have something you want to weigh in, and you can text us. You don't even need to call. If you're finding, like, our warrior, my warrior thing a little obnoxious, go ahead and text us and tell me why it's the Celtics. And uh, be perfectly fine with that. And I, I am now... Uh, getting ready. Well, let's do this. Let's take the time out now, and then we'll come back. And I, before we go to the break, I do want to remind everybody, about six, seven, maybe years ago now, I, uh, I was really down on my energy. It was flagging. And I knew I was, uh, you know, struggling, and I thought, well, wow, that's crazy. I'm putting weight on. I mean, is this just getting a little older? Is this something that's pooling around my gut? 
I was like, I don't need this. And someone said, well, you got to go to those guys that are on your show. And it was Dr. Charles Arakaki from then Universal Men's Clinic. So I, I called up and I made an appointment. And I went down, boy, am I glad I did. The guy is beautifully direct. He just tells you what the facts are. They're not really a sales effort at all. He just said, this is what it can do. This is what it's likely to do. Well, uh, he actually under-promised and over-delivered because I was anxious to get rid of some of the belly fat. And I had been told by a couple of people, yeah, you'll get all some of that. Well, not only did I get some of that, I got it very steadily. And it's been going on ever since. And I would say in the first four years, I lost like 30-some-odd pounds, 32 pounds, 34 pounds. Uh, I think I went from 230 now, all, all in all, in the six, seven years. I started at 230, and I'm now 182 pounds. And I never lost more than two pounds in any one month. It was very gradual. The weight stayed off. And, man, the energy level was so much better. I really enjoyed it. Here's what you can do. You can call him. He's now at a new place. Dr. Charles Arakaki uh, used to be the Universal Men's Clinic guy. He's now got his own deal, and he is at uh, the Ohana Men's Clinic. It's on the edge of Kahala Mall, and all you got to do is give him, um, you know, get a hold of him online, and you can either take a 20-minute private consult with him virtually or in person. Dr. Charles Arakaki at Ohana Men's Clinic in Kahala. Find out more at drcharlesarakaki.com. That's drcharlesarakaki.com. And start your journey to feeling better today. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. Thirty-five minutes past the hour. Pleased to welcome our next guest, Adam Taylor, who covers the Boston Celtics for the Celticsblog.com. I, since my wife is Scottish, I do recognize the different prefix on the phone number. Adam, what? Uh, where are you from exactly in the UK? Uh, from Birmingham. Birmingham. Ah, nice. Well, I don't know how the attraction or what it, how it developed with you following the Boston Celtics, but uh, tell us a little bit about how you developed your affinity for them. Um, I started watching them back in 1994. Uh, we only used to get like two or three teams that were shown here regularly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the Lakers, the Celtics, and usually the Knicks. So they were my three choices, and for some reason I just gravitated towards the Celtics. I've been following them ever since. Well, this has been an interesting deal because I don't know what you thought, but when that game went to game six uh, in Boston against Miami Heat, I thought it was over. I just said, that's it. The Celtics had just won game five. It looked like the injuries were doing Miami Heat in. I, you could have knocked me down with a feather when Miami came back and won that game. It was 
it was the most Celtics thing to do this season. Their biggest issue has been holding on to leads after getting ahead early. Um, they really struggled to just find any form of offense, right? Like they, they go through these phases where they become really stagnant and uh, they definitely struggled. Now, the only thing that kept me positive was the fact that throughout the entire playoffs, they haven't lost back-to-back games. And that was the only reason going into Game 7, I was still quite hopeful. Man, that was something else. Now, a lot of people, and you probably have seen it, Caesars in Las Vegas came out and made the Golden State Warriors minus 160. That's a pretty big favorite. Uh, seems to me. I, I was seeing other stuff that was much smaller than that, like, you know, maybe minus 130 sort of things. But this is now, you know, minus 160 plus 130 if you take the Celtics. Do you have the sense that the Celtics are punching up here in this one? They're definitely the underdog. I mean, there's no NBA Finals experience on this roster, pretty much whatsoever. So, Coming into this, you're going up against a seasoned team that has won multiple championships and know how to close out a finals game. And then in the Warriors, and then as the Celtics, you just, everything's a new experience. There's no there's nobody there to kind of turn to to help lead you through the tough, the, the rough patches. And I think that's why so many people are kind of saying, like, the Warriors are going to dominate this series just because they've got that experience level and the know-how when it comes to championship games. You know, there's a pretty good toughness level, though. I mean, Marcus Smart, to me, is the epitome of it. I really love the way Robert Williams approaches his job in the post. And you couldn't say that both Tatum and Brown aren't efficient scorers of the basketball. So, to me, it's not like the Celtics are bereft of talent. But you're right, not a single finals game of experience, and the Warriors have 123. It's such a big difference, and I think that once you're at this level, and it's do-or-die basketball pretty much in every game, that experience plays a huge part. There's a reason that veterans get paid larger contracts than rookies. The rookie max, the rookie max extension isn't as big as a veteran, a veteran gets. Because that experience plays such a huge role in, in what you can achieve. And like you say, coming in at like no experience in the finals across the entire roster, your coach is a rocky head coach. He's never had this much pressure on him. That's going to be a big mountain for them to overcome. It's possible, but it's going to be really tough. And I, I kind of see it that way also. Now, are you able to catch these games live from your home in Birmingham? So I can, I have the means to, but I never do, no, especially when it's a West Coast game. Uh, so what I do is um, I'll wake up around about 6 a.m. my time, 6.30, um, and then I'll, I won't have any social media notifications turned on, and I'll watch the game on League Pass. Um, so by the time everybody in the States is waking up, I've watched it, then I've re-watched it, and then I've started producing some analysis. Oh, I think that sounds like it's very entertaining. Now, did you become just all... So my wife's from Scotland, as I mentioned, and then they're, they got, they're big on sports, but it's not necessarily... I mean, it's, it's rugby and football and golf. It's not so much, you know, basketball or American football. Is, are you a sellout completely to basketball? Yeah, pretty much. It's my, it's, uh, I consume... 
two, at least two games a day, every day. Uh, I've got wow. no interest in soccer, no interest in um, in rugby or anything like that. Like my number one focus uh, since I was a teenager has always been basketball. That's amazing. I think coming from from your part of the world, that's really that's unusual, somewhat, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's growing now, but, like, when I was young, I'm in my 30s now, so when I was young, I was there was literally maybe one person out of every 100 that I met that even had seen a basketball game. Wow, that's amazing, yeah. You know, we had, uh, we played, the whole, University of Hawaii plays in the a conference called the Big West, and the dominant team the last decade or so has been this UC Irvine, and they had a guy from England on their team. I'm trying to remember his last name. His first name was Luke. And uh, I don't know if you follow the college kids who go to America to play college basketball. He's a really good player, could score it like crazy. And and I thought to myself, how unusual this guy is in he's he's in the birthplace of some of these other sports and yet he's a basketball player. Amazing. Yeah, it's growing rapidly here. I don't pay much attention to the English game. Like, I'm 100% focused on the NBA. Um, and then a little bit of the Euro League. so like Real Madrid, Barcelona. But um, there are some good players that are starting to be developed over here slowly, very slowly, but definitely happening. Well, I think it's great because uh, for any of us who grew up with basketball, and I spent my entire misguided youth playing on basketball courts, indoors and out, all kinds of weather. I mean, uh, you wouldn't have to spend any time convincing me that it's the greatest game ever made. Um, really enjoyed having you on, Adam. This will be fun. Hey, point out to me if you think there's one player for Boston that's absolutely critical who has to play well for them to fare well, who is that guy? Are we ignoring Tatum and Brand because they are big? So we're going more role player. All right, go role player. Uh, so, yeah, so because obviously Tatum's the one that has to play well for the Celtics to have any chance of winning. Um, if I was going to pinpoint anybody, I do think it's going to be Marcus Smart, just because yeah. he's going to be tasked with guarding Steph Curry, right? So those two guys have gone head to head ten times in Marcus Smart's career. Yeah. Marcus Smart's won seven, uh, won six of them. So he he's got a winning record against Curry, even when the Warriors were a dynasty. And I think over a seven-game series, if Marcus Smart can keep Steph Curry quiet, that's what gives Boston the best chance of winning. So in my opinion, it will be Marcus. Well, that this ought to be a fabulous series. So looking forward to it. Adam, and thank you for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Adam Gilbert from Birmingham in England. Adam Taylor, I'm sorry, from Birmingham in England and was uh, is obviously a very well-schooled guy in the arts of basketball. We have uh, a little bit of time here now, so if you have something, feel free. You can jump in with us. I don't disagree with him that I think Marcus Smart's a huge component uh, for the for the Boston Celtics in this one. I what I worry about as a Celtic, if you are concerned about the Celtics, which I'm less so, but if I was, it's it's his ankle. Because I think that takes away some of his quickness. And you don't want to have a quickness deficit against Steph Curry. I just think that he's so good with the ball on his fingertips that it can become really, really difficult in a hurry. And 
And then, I mean, it's not just if Steph Curry you have to worry about. you got to worry about Clay, and you have to worry about Jordan Poole, and you have to worry about Andrew Wiggins. I mean, you got a lot of concerns if you're the Boston Celtics. I don't even know if they can afford to leave Marcus Smart entirely on Steph Curry. I, I think that's a natural because of the height thing. You know, because Marcus is smart is not a huge guy. So, uh, but he's a little thicker than certainly Curry is. So that may have been an advantage in, at some points in their matchups. Don't know if it will be in this one because I think you sacrifice the quickness with the ankle. Go ahead if you have something. Two nine six fourteen twenty. When I was talking to Larry Beal the other day, he said it's a set. It's no one has any doubt about this. It'll be Wiggins on Jason Tatum. That's an article of faith. And his, his thing is, because I th would have thought, you know, maybe you want to work in, you know, as soon as he can play, Gary Payton II might get a chance on, on Jalen Brown. He says, nope, it's going to be Clay Thompson. I, I would have said that was a really good matchup a few years ago for the Warriors. I'm not sure it's as good as it once was. Just saying. I'm feeling like that might be a tougher task for him than it would have been when he had a bit more spring. I was just saying, 296, 1420. Uh, should we take a timeout? Let's do it. We'll take this quick timeout. Be right back with more on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii app. Times when you looking uh, among football coaches and you're searching for the grown-up in the room out of nowhere they show up because today Jimbo Fisher had his turn at the SEC media days is it fair to characterize his comments as basically moving on I uh, would you say, Tanner? I mean, that sounds like it was the gist of it. He wants to move on. He doesn't want to dwell on this. It's probably the same way that Nick Saban didn't want to dwell on it either when we, we played his comments at the beginning of the show where basically he said, I shouldn't have done it. I didn't mean to do it. Sorry about it. And so when asked about his comments between him and Nick Saban, this is all according from Brett McMurphy, Jimbo said, it's over with. We're done talking about it. There are a lot more pressing needs in college football. I, I think that was like, oh, my God, we have a grown-up in the room here. It's hard to believe. The, uh, he did make a comment. I should mention that when they were talking about how many non-conference games would you play, I think Jimbo Fisher, and I appreciate this, because if you're around with a school that's primarily in, you know, a lower-tier FBS or an FCS, I think you get pretty quickly that it can be important to get a game against the big fellas. Uh, like, I'll give you an example. Hawaii's going to go play at Ann Arbor. Do you know what Hawaii's payday is? $1.9 million. That is a huge help to keeping the budget going. I just think, now you multiply that. Say it's Jackson State. And it's Deion Sanders' program. Can you imagine what a percentage of their budget is raised by a game like that? It's huge. So I just thought Jimbo Fisher saying, you know, Bobby Bowden came out of that. He came out of the FCS. I came out of the FCS. He thinks it's important 
that they do that. It's in a way, it's sort of giving back to keeping everybody whole. I'm 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 on board with that. That seemed like a pretty uh, magnet. Now listen, some guys are going to say, "Well, they just want to win." Trust me, if you're Texas A&M with the kind of recruits they have, you don't need to go FCS to get a win. You know, you can do it. You could go lower level FBS. You're not going to lose a lot of games in that level. That's just how it is. So I take him at his his word on that one that he's looking to do something good for someone else. I, I'd say I appreciate it. 296-1420 uh, is the number. One of the things I forget, and I had someone look this up. Maybe you looked it up for me. I don't remember. but Because when I see Nick Saban, you see him on the sidelines or something. He doesn't look really small, but he's really small. I mean, I think I want to say he's, what, 5'8", five, 5'8 eight, five, eight and a half, five, nine, right in there? Is that about right? I know you're looking. Yeah, yeah, I know you're looking. But I, I keep, I keep if thinking. If I remember from the last time you were talking about this, I believe it's something crazy like 5'6". Five, 5'6"? Six. Five, six? I need to look it up. He is, he is an older gentleman. Some guys do tend to uh, shrink in their Well, age. as my mother would say, he has good posture, though. Yeah, 5'6". He's 5'6". It's crazy. I mean, because he played, I want to say, was it Kent? He did play cornerback. Yeah. They do tend to be shorter. Right, but 5'6". It was a Division One school. 5'6 is what the guys are playing shuffleboard in the rec lounge. That's 5'6". I mean, come on, that's really small. I'm just saying. I Listen, good for him. But I didn't know it was 5'. I thought it was like 5'. Seven and a half, five, eight, something like that. Five, six. That's tiny. So anyway, but because standing next to Jimbo Fisher, you know, they had them up, like standing next to He looked really small next to Fisher. So I just the first assume, well, Fisher's a giant. He must be six, five. Not so. So see what if you look up Jimbo. I'm, I'm guessing Jimbo Fisher's six, two or so. Six, two, or three, something like that. I don't think he's huge. I could be wrong, but that's what it looks like to me. Especially knowing that Saban's five, six. Wow. I'm seeing a lot of websites saying five, ten. Five, ten for Fisher? So I'm the same height as Jimbo Fisher. Wow. So you tower over him. No, no doubt. I was like, give me a little fella. Two nine to six. Boy, I got a son who's calling me little fella now, which is funny because I'm still taller than he is. Two nine to six of fourteen twenty. He goes, "How you doing?" He's doing it like the Lamelo Ball. Hey, little guy, you know that kind of nonsense. Two nine six fourteen twenty. It's funny. Two nine six fourteen twenty. I can I can take a joke. Doesn't bother me. If you have some, we're at fifty six already. Are we? What did you tell me my out time was? Okay, we got time. So. I don't think we have time to take a call necessarily, but I do find that I suppose wonders never cease. I think a lot of us thought that this was going to go right on into the season, the the nonsense between Jimbo Fisher, the 5'10 Jimbo Fisher, and the 5'6 Nick Saban. I, uh, I'm shocked at that. But I tell you what, I mean, this is putting eyes, way more eyes on the SEC than, uh, you know, probably that they thought they were beginning in the summer, or at least in these, yeah. I'll put, these spring meetings. It is June. Right. These are summer meetings. I'm not really sure 
that that's something that Sankey wants. Not at this price because they got plenty of eyeballs. They they that's not they don't struggle for that. I just think having things that are disruptive and makes you know your coaches look your top coaches look petulant. I don't. I can't imagine that's something he feels good about. I tell you what, people probably have that October eighth circled now, though. Oh, you bet they do. You bet they do. And do you know where the game is? Yeah, I believe this is in Alabama because they played at Kyle Field last year. Ah, uh, so Tuscaloosa. I would think two nine six fourteen twenty. If you have something, uh, feel free. You could jump in with us, text us. Oh, it's actually too late. Hang on to it till tomorrow. Uh, if you have something you'd like to text or discuss, we'll do that. Thanks uh, to Tanner Hayworth for his good hard work today. From all of us at ESPN Honolulu, I'm Bobby Curran. Aloha.